Hey, uh, what's up, guys? Um, it is, what would you say, day three? It's Saturday the 14th of March, and I would say this is probably like day three of uh, Corona, like quarantine. Corona Fest. Yeah. Alex <laughs> is selling shirts online, Corona online Corona University. He's like sold. It's hard to sell merch online. I mean, especially <clears throat> if you're not like. Do you, we have Dan Patel here and Tim Carhart. Um, Dan Patel manages Ian Kirkpatrick. Yeah, manage. Ian. I have like I can't believe I just remembered that name. You probably <laughs> were waiting for me to fuck it yeah, up. Yeah, that's uh, par for the course yeah, for you to. And, and uh, what? What? what uh, yeah, some of actually my favorites. Actually, that M eighty three. That I have this M eighty three record junk, which is one of my favorite. Oh, that's that's Ian? one of my other clients. No, oh. that's my client Carl. So yeah, I've got about seventeen producer songwriters that I'm about managed. a fist away from the actual mic. There we go. Well, yeah, your mouth. So just pull it. Just pull so it close. Like move it around. You should yeah. just. You can lean back yeah. and get the thing closer. You have. You said you had fifteen. No, right now we've got seventeen. Oh. Seventeen producer songwriters. Across, but really across the globe, LA, so, New York, Toronto. So Dan manages songwriters, songwriters like, and producers. Yeah, and producers like like my friend Jason, who we've had on this podcast a bunch of times. Um, they will write a song, lyrics, but they also can produce, like you know, mix it and find the sounds and find the <laughs> drum tracks and actually like. Um, you know, sequence the song, which is kind of an, it's an interesting thing. I feel like even when I was in the industry, I would like, I would always trip out on that. Like, I don't understand. Like, are they like, I produce, like, why do I, why am I getting together with someone who produce? Because like writing a song, understanding like lyrics and melody and, and concepts and how you put that together and like how, 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 you know, just certain things that will work or won't work or, um, it's kind of an interesting, but like Ian is like a songwriter, like he writes on guitar and I mean, Ian will do a little bit of everything. He'll sometimes it's just on guitar or piano. Sometimes it's fully produced tracks. He'll collaborate with other people. Um, but no, I mean, look, I think professional songwriters, you kind of get two things with them. You're, you're getting experience, right. And people who have known qualities right and you know for a lot of these bigger artists it doesn't make sense for them to go into the recording studio they're printing money on the road they're selling merch they're doing photo shoots they're selling out arenas they're making zero money when they're in the recording studio trying to write a song and and you know a lot of them will go in and try and write their own songs and then just waste months and then inevitably come back to, you know, guys like Ian or Jason or just other pros. So you're saying it like actually saves time and money. Yeah. And, and, and to a certain extent, it's like a known quality. So let's just say, for instance, it's kind of why, I don't know why you almost go into a store and buy a shirt. You could try it on. If there's an existing song, you could listen to it. Yeah. You could sing along to it. You could go, oh, I love this song versus like. If you're just going into the studio to write, you have no idea what might 
come out of it. It could be a horrible song that you just wasted a bunch of time on. Also, with songwriters, they're writing all day, every day. Their knife is sharp, you know? So if artists is coming off a road, off the road or whatever, it's like they're not, they're not just doing that part of the craft as often, you know? It's just, it's just crazy to me because like they're, in my eyes, they're like the real artists. Like they're like, I'm a singer songwriter. Like I, over time have just graduated or gradually been drawn to certain artists that do all their own. Like, you know, even now, like father John Misty or, you know, I mean, my favorite artists are like Chris Christopherson and James Taylor and, and, and John Denver and, you know, people that, they're singer songwriters and there's just so many now there's actually a lot of them in like the country music genre and i've been like you know going down like a sturgill simpson slash whatever like there's this guy uh uh, sam outlaw have you heard of him he's kind of like a younger hit like this the country it's not like country it's more like slow singer songwriter it's more it's like folky yeah like that's my (laughs) shit because like it's or even like um, Bleachers, which is um, Jack Antonoff's project, you can hear such a specific vision. You can, it's almost like you can hear the vision, you know? Like it's like such a, they're not just like, like the Taylor Swift stuff he did is cool. You can hear his influence on it, but it's not as, the vision isn't as refined. Like when you hear that new Bleachers album, it's like, holy shit, this is like so. Is there a new Bleachers album? It's not new, oh. but it's, no, his, it's his, I think they've only released one. No, they have two. Oh, two. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. The yeah. newer one, the first song is called Mickey Mantle. It's just like a whole, it's a body of work that was very curated by the singer-songwriter slash producer. And it just, it just, for me, it has so much more depth. You know, it's like Pink Floyd. Like, you can't, they, didn't, they weren't going in. And having people write songs with them. No, definitely. I mean, look, in, in pop music and music in general, there's kind of three categories. There's music written solely by the artist, which is still really common. There's music that's a co-write. So it's the artist is in the room. And, and the artist is writing with the producer or the songwriter. You know, sometimes it's just one collaborator. Sometimes it's multiple collaborators. <laughs> And then there's what we call outside songs, which is essentially just that song was written by professionals and the artist comes in and puts their vocals on. Like Taylor Swift is a co-writer. Taylor Swift is a co-writer. But maybe certain songs were just straight up written by or for her. I don't know that Taylor... She's well. She prides herself. Yeah, she yeah, prides, she prides herself, herself on, on being sure. an artist well, and I mean, a songwriter. Yeah, which is cool. But at the same time, if like... If Jack or what's his little Joel Little is, if they're bringing a song to her that's like perfect, which probably occasionally will happen, <laughs> she'd still happen. switch her a few words up and slap her name on it. Yeah, right. or right. or you know maybe Beyonce they weren't, will do that too. Yeah, right. maybe they weren't full songs. Sometimes you know, yeah. some of my clients sometimes will will send us a, a musical track and somebody kind of humming a melody over the chorus. And that's like something that's like, okay, that's something an artist could hear and go, I like that. Now let me come in and let's make it more my own. Yeah. I'm buzzing. 
Yeah, that's like really loud. Wait, what? There's like, oh, that was weird. It was like <laughs> something from over here. I mean, I, I think a lot of us like when you can really hear an artist give their take, their personal take yeah. on the world. I think a lot of us gravitate towards that. But then in pop, it's like, it's really hard. It seems like it's an easy thing to do. Right. But it's actually really hard to write something simple enough where like anybody can kind of get it, but complicated enough where it doesn't sound like a nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, no, I mean, pop, pop music, you know, it's so funny. Cause I grew up similarly to you guys. I grew up going to warp tour and concerts and listening to rock music and, and, you would kind of have those, you know, girls in high school who would listen to Britney Spears and in sync. And you're just like, that music's fucking horrible. Right. And, and now having been in the business for, you know, 15 years, you have this certain appreciation for that skill set for you know, pop music, for pop music. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's like if, what everyone wants to be doing, but they talk shit about it, but it's like, yo, this is like the most successful genre and there's actually really really cool good pop music like tame impala for example yeah i mean we're you know we're really fortunate we've had some really big songs between the clients and when you think about an incredible pop song you know not these like they'll do very well on radio but then the ones that actually have legs where like 10 years from now 20 years from now people will still lose their shit at a wedding when the song comes on like Think about the amount of skill that it takes to to come up with something like that. That like writing a song that you know your little twelve year old niece will like, and at the same time your eighty year old grandparents will like. Yeah, and and everybody in between. That's really hard. Yeah, like that that that, that Bruno Mars song. That's just it's like. The biggest song, I don't give, I don't care. I mean, hats off to Jason for Girls Like You or whatever, but like that, you know, white gold, the maroon, oh, it's Uptown Funk, Mark Ronson. that Uptown Funk song, I'm sorry, but that's, that's the biggest song of the decade. I, 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 that's my opinion. Like, I don't care what the sales are or anything. That's the, the numbers song. would definitely say different, but that thing was massive. Like, no, it was, like, it was a monster. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. We had a song that came out that exact same year and just barely edged out Uptown Funk for Radio Song of the Year. We, we did a song called Shut Up and Dance for Walk the Moon. Dude, and, so that's a song I actually like. I hate Uptown Funk. But like I hate the song. That's uh, actually funny that that you bring that up because that's a song that I wanted to. I forgot what it was called, but that's a guy from Fun too, right? No, um, or, or no, 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 no. Group Love. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, I love Group Love, and I love that song. What, what, what was the artist? Well, it was Walk the Moon put it out, and they co-wrote that song with my clients, like, Captain Cups. Like that's crazy because like that's that that group is like not like a popular. No, I mean, it was definitely... Yeah, no. It was just such a good song. No, we we definitely did not think at the time we scheduled that session. And that was a co-write. That band came in. They wrote it with our guys. And we definitely at the time did not think, oh, wow, they're going to write some big, massive hit. Because right. really at the time, Walk the Moon had you know an alt following, but they weren't at that level. Um, but yeah... That, so, so that how, ended up being a bigger song how does that, that year. Go? How does that go? Shut up and dance with Shut me. Shut up and dance. Oh. This woman is my destiny. 
<laughs> I oh. forget. Nah, nah, yeah. Every time I'm on this podcast, me and Pat just start singing. No, because like I think it's 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 cool to be able to for the listener to be able to actually identify the song. So it's called "Shut Up and Dance." Yeah, shut up and dance with me. <clears throat> I, I feel like the 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 hook came in, like in like it, the rhythm of the hook was like you almost like need the music to is it destiny. Wow, so good. You, you actually can't. I, I, I've been flagged on. Because um, in the beginning, when we first started this podcast, we would like play like entire songs and like critique them. But like, they, they've um, we've had problems with Apple just playing music like. Like I just did, like or yeah. But, in the, you know, in the yeah. beginning, actually, we were plugging the phone. Yeah, in. you actually owe Dan money yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Warner Shut Chapel, if you're listening, yeah. I granted a gratis request. <laughs> That's, That's funny, and it's crazy because yeah, they're not the biggest band, but right. the, that one song is one of uh, as this is noise. His company's called This Is Noise Management. That's one of This Is Noise's biggest songs, right? Yeah. Just as one singular song. And then, oddly enough, one of their other ones is not from who you might expect because they've had Selena Gomez and the biggest pop stars, but is also High Hopes by Panic at the Disco. And that song is just a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Still. I mean, th- and will for t- 20 more years. Yeah. I mean, those are the, they, uh, you know, in the industry, they call them like evergreens. It's so cool to have like rock. With, it's rock. What's so you know, like, what, we you know love, what's really like, interesting? Rock music, and Ian is influencing pop culture in a massive that, way. That wasn't Ian. that was an Ian. That oh, was whoever. actually a different one. Co- you, so, but your company. I mean, so but here's what's really funny is you know they they came out. Billboard came out with this. Uh, Billboard came out with this end of the decade biggest rock songs, and there was a huge falling out um, online, Twitter, Instagram, because when they, they mentioned the top 10 rock songs of the decade, High Hopes and Shut Up and Dance were on there, along with like Imagine Dragons, 21 Pilots, a lot of a lot of Half songs. the chart was 21 Pilots and Imagine Dragons. Yeah, yeah I mean, they literally actually, between the two of them, maybe had five or six songs, and then... Uh, you know, our two songs. And there were a lot of people who flipped out saying that that isn't rock music, that that's a rock band playing a pop song. Are you kidding me? Panic at the Disco is a fucking indie (laughs) rock. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, but it it, it did bring... It reminds me of when we were in high school, when we were in middle school. This is, uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned this because I just, I have such a fucking issue with this. Like, remember when Green Day was like so dope in middle school and yeah. then they started yeah, blowing when t- up and everyone was like, fuck Green Day. I just remember being in middle school and thinking like, what do you talk? Like, I got, I, I remember getting angry at kids for not liking the band because they became successful because I, maybe maybe it was just because we had another more. hometown one for us with the Incubus heavy like, yeah you know, no we were, like, it all was, into them and then they got no the whole concept of selling out was so enjoyable because like you had that with Green Day you you definitely had that 
311. Blink 182 was such a big one because Blink 182 went from this like punk rock band to really at a at a certain point they were kind of the biggest pop band in the world. And yeah. I mean, my 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 dream. One of my one of my many like dreams or passions that I would love to do is like a documentary on pop punk, and I think this would be a huge piece to that puzzle. Like when all those bands were getting big, and you know the 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 like um, what do you, what do you call? It's like it's not irony, but it's like oh, punk is supposed to be a certain thing. Me and Veronica were actually just talking about this on, on, when we were snowboarding. Punk doesn't have anything to do with success. It's not whether you get it or whether you don't. It's whether you're being honest. Just because success comes doesn't mean... Like, Blink didn't really change who they were. I, I think that becomes a little debatable. I mean, look... Well, you, Green Day... Well, Green Day did... Like, like I think that they just want to make the best music that they can. The problem is when the system influences you... I mean, I know for sure no effects. They're like, I would want to tell this story from the perspective of like Epitaph and Fat Records, but like they could talk about all these bands and what they're all, just the debate and the opinions, but like selling out is like, oh, the band you love is now able to like eat food. Oh, completely. And you're fucking mad. No, I mean, by the way, too, with a lot of these bands, it's also, you got to think about the fact that they are growing up, right? So some Mm -hmm. of these bands started off, you know, Teenagers, what you're listening yeah. to is the lyrics of a 16 year old kid living right. at home, and all of a sudden now you're listening to the lyrics of a you father. Know, <laughs> yeah, a 21 year old yeah. on the road who can now drink and go to bars, and yeah. you know, and and so you're kind of evolving, right? And at the same time, look like with a lot of these artists too, record labels get involved, and you know, to a certain extent, these bands are starting to see more money and going like, okay, if we have a bigger fan base. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could probably talk about that for hours. Well, no, and I think it's a really good thing to explore because I feel like Kurt Cobain, a big re- a big part of the reason that he killed himself, uh, you know, the the main reason he killed himself is because he was addicted to heroin and he had a, a he was you know obviously an addict and but like I think on the surface it was like oh my god like I've sold out. Fans were probably talking shit. Like he wasn't a part of that like cool thing, and people were, you know, he got more success than he, you know, thought he wanted, and the image of who he thought he was supposed to be became something else, and it got away from him. And it's like if you're judging artists based on like success or outside things, it's like you you need to you need to just take a look at like what what the fuck are you doing? Like just listen to the music watch the movie, appreciate the art for what it is and don't worry about the results. And I think that's also actually a big part of like this whole learning to lose concept of the podcast is like losing, winning, like results. Like that's not like our society has kind of like put so much on that, but it's not, it's not what it's supposed to be about. Like it's supposed to be about the, the, the art or like the journey or the process and it's just like really fucked up that people like I was just on a Facebook page and there was a photo of Blink-182 and Green Day and it's it's a Fat Records Facebook group right and uh they were like captioned this photo and everyone is like talking shit 
And I'm like, <laughs> I actually, I don't ever like write people, but I wrote something like to someone cause someone wrote something like sellouts or, and I was like, that's just so crazy that you're going to fucking judge a, a bands for having success. Like if you really liked the bands, you'd be stoked that they had success. And I personally think green days, I mean, I like Kerplunk, but like American Idiot's like a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah sure. no, I, I think people get so like, caught up in how like, are you going to fucking hate? I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be that complicated. Like for me, music ultimately is like it wakes something up inside of you. It makes you feel a certain way. It maybe makes you want to dance or cry or what, whatever it is. Like you could you could be a fan of an artist and not like specific songs. You mm-hmm. could not be not a fan of an artist, but really like one of their songs. I mean, I don't know. I think it people try and like categorize bands into sellouts or like, this is really cool. Like it's ultimately just about the music and the art. And yeah, <laughs> if you like that three, four minutes when you listen to it, it does something for you. Like, great. Like it doesn't but, need but, to be some, something if, beyond that. But if the songs you don't like, are on a super unsuccessful underground record, you'll be okay with it. But if the songs that you that you don't like are on like a record that did really well popularly or whatever, you get you almost have a right to like be angry at the artist. And like what is that? No, I mean, but that's kind of unfortunately some people do that in life too, but right? Amazon it's like It's like whether or not like, you know, you you kind of feel some ownership. Yeah, some that's, people yeah. tend to feel that ownership <clears throat> of like I was a fan when they like couldn't even like sell out places. And now like they owe it to me to make the kind of music that I want to hear. You also like, I feel like we naturally like, we'll, we'll be quicker to like something if we found it somehow. Yeah. It's like you discover it even some, now it's like algorithms will feed you. But if you felt like you found some some shit, even more so than when a friend sends you a song. But well, there's like some ego yeah, in it yeah, there's too. Like, there's like a lot of ego. Like I'm the first yeah. one to know about this. I mean, look, to a large extent, part of my favorite thing about what I get to do in the music business, and for me it's kind of become addicting, is like when a client sends over a song and I'm getting an MP3, you know, at 2 a.m. and it's like, hey, here's what we did today. I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. I'm one of five people on the face of the planet that's heard this song. And I know like fast forward a year, it's going to be all over radio and people are going to be doing TikTok videos to it and people are going to be dancing at weddings. There's something so cool about that. And like for me in my position, I, I experience that all the time. So the kind of, you know, it, it's less about feeling cool and special and ego and more about like I get to be a part of something, you know, something unique and maybe help craft something. But ultimately a lot of people... Also, you feeling. you could be also the the fate of that song is in your hands a little bit too because a lot of times if it's a, a just amongst um, songwriters you're now going oh well, this could be for Selena this could go to Bieber this could go like who who are we gonna send this to right now who should we give like a first stab at this yeah it could, it could go to all these different pop stars and and experience all sorts of different fates and like of- some would say that art is the most influential thing. For like our culture, which affects our world in a big way and not to be like grandiose or whatever, but like, I, I believe that. And I think that if the right people are involved with like creating this art, I think it can be good for the world. And so I'm, something that's kind of cool just cause we just like, played. I'm the- really happy that like, 
I don't really know Ian, but like I'm really happy that Jason knowing who he is as a person and how much he doesn't, he's not just trying to write a song that's going to work. Like he actually is bringing his beliefs into, and he's like a positive guy that's trying to affect the world in a positive way. And, and to be able to reach that many, I mean the Maroon five song about like what lovers do. It's like about like getting, being mature and like, and like owning insecurities and, and, and he's talking about some cool shit that like will help people be better people. And then our world could be a better place rather than like, you know, just talking about like lean and parties and, and using, which actually could harm kids. And, and, and it's weird that I'm even talking about this growing up as a kid who was like, fuck the world, punk rock, like, but no, even, I mean, by the way, same. Uh, you know what, though? But even when we were kids, like, we gravitated towards groups like Rage and groups that were, like, had something to say and had a purpose. <laughs> and, like, um, I, I recently said this thing to Victoria because she was, like, bummed out about me posting some shit about, like, porn. And, like, she's been one of the, re- one of the people that have been trying to help me see, like, what am I, what is my purpose? And I kind of told her like, yeah, like you can't really be punk without a purpose, you know, like that's kind of the definition of punk in a lot of ways. It's like, what are you trying to say or what are you trying to do? Like, and I don't think that if you don't have that purpose, like the heart in it, it's just not there. But, um, no, I agree with that. I mean, to your point, what's really interesting is, a big uh, A&R exec, he and I were talking recently, and he talked about how much better positive music sells over non-positive music. So something like if a song lyric in the chorus is, I don't want your love, right. versus I want your love, a song about I want your love will do so much better than I don't. It just people, people want, yeah, positivity. Yeah, like we were talking about something earlier that I think is really important, this ego thing, like, and like, um, trying to remove that. And I think like when I, um, listen, like, I think that like when, 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 when you're, you know, everybody like inherently wants to have something that's their own or they want to root for the underdog or they want to be the they want to feel special or, and I think like what you said, it is driven kind of like by ego, but I think if we can like navigate through the world without that, we, it's almost like, look, there's a saying in the program that's like, ego is not your amigo. And like, you know, get, kill your ego before your ego kills you. Like, and, um, navigating through, the world and like life choices without ego, I think is so important. And, and in the same way that like we listen to art and music without an ego and and if we're able to just appreciate it for what it is and regardless of how big it could get or how big it is, or I'm almost like so like anti, I'm almost so like wanting to be different that I actually like wanna like the new Taylor Swift because it's popular and because it's like not cool to like. And I have to actually watch even that. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to have any external shit affect my appreciation for art. Yeah. And I think that that same thing can be applied to like something like TikTok. 
like I started doing TikTok just because I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let any of the noise like affect. Let me just try to like do something new without like an ego or without like any kind of weird. No, a lot of like people have like preconceived yeah. notions about like, I don't want to hang out with that person yeah. or listen to that or go to look at this artist's paintings or this because they feel preconceived notions about who listens to that artist or who does TikTok or yeah. I mean, and that's kind of like an extension of ego. Yeah. Or any character defect, like anytime my decision for anything is being motivated by like fear, any kind of fear or like anger or any kind of negative, whenever I'm making a decision based on that, I just know, okay, that's not the right, so when I go to like start a TikTok page, you know, if the, the, the reason that I'm able to do that is because I'm not bringing, you know, negative character defects into that decision. And as soon as those <clears throat> things start to affect my judgment, I'm like, okay, wow. And that's, I'm grateful for like having like a 12 step program for me. And um, certain other people have like, you know, religion or God that, that, that's sort of like my guiding light. And I'm like, because for me, like without that or even this podcast or if I'm not constantly like reminding myself, oh, is this decision coming from a place of fear or love? If I'm not thinking about that every day, like my mind will always go to fear and I will always be making decisions based on that. And then before you know it, I'm in this like really fucked up place because no, like you said, like humans want to gravitate towards positivity. Like, and I think it's really cool that you're saying things sell more when they're positive. And I'm noticing a really cool reaction. On Externally. My- I think it's true, but I feel like internally, most of our default setting is fear yeah, and like, negativity. Dude, especially it's, me. So it's like, if we, ju- if we're not checking ourselves on a regular basis, if you don't have some form of <clears throat> meditation, higher you got to have something that's like checking yourself on a regular basis otherwise you're you're out there and that's like yeah, no it's true that's actually really that's really like the the reason i do this podcast in particular because i need to be reminded of these things and um i think anyone listening to this you know i've already had a lot of people like this isn't like a you know, Oh, let's like talk about like pop culture. I mean, it kind of started as that, but like, I would always bring it back to like, Oh wow. Kanye is trying to affect pop culture in like this, whether or not anyone agrees with what he's doing or whether he's crazy or not. But this podcast started when he was like on that, like God, when he went on uh, TMZ and was talking about like all this crazy, like, you know, we're slaves to, you know, culture, and like results. And I really identified with that because I feel like he was trying to break through that and try to be anything and, and use like love as sort of his guiding light. And I thought that was really cool. And I, there was even like videos of paparazzi coming up to him where you would expect him to normally be angry. He actually would have a conversation with them and be like, yo, I get you're trying to make a living. And it was like, Whoa, it's like a new person, you know? So we would always try to bring, pop culture, whatever was happening in the world back to like, okay, where does this fall in line with like the certain kind of principles that we live by? And it's, it's called learning to lose. And I always like to ask the guests like what that means to them. 
and anyone that's successful like you, you you've built this is noise from fucking mm-hmm. nothing. Well, that's where that's when I knew him. So I was at Warner at the time, and he was you know like the he was like in like the minor leagues you could call yeah. it like just trying to get his couple clients anything like would take yeah, just anything. enough to like I'll, I'll, cover we'll, rent for we'll, the month we'll do something on spec we'll do spec meaning we'll do something for free if you like it you know we'll get it we'll you know we'll, yeah so it's like you have to so, you're crawling you're you're, you're mm. scratching your way up to, I mean, if you want to get a job and be on salary with someone, you can just like do that. But if you want to try to build something and achieve a dream, like you got to fucking yeah, no, it, it. Do you have some notable losses in those beginning days? So, so, uh, but also, yeah, like where, what does learning to lose? Like, what does that mean to you? And I'll like, kind of like, if, if you're not. Learning to, I mean, there's so many things that hits me in so many different ways. Right. I mean, ultimately in life, you're going to have way more failures than success. Yeah. Like in music, you know, our songwriters will write a hundred songs to maybe get one that, you know, makes it off a hard drive and gets released out, you know, just in life in general. I mean, fuck, I'd started so many different businesses that tanked until this one kind of worked and I didn't even know if it was going to work. Ultimately, you're going to fail more times than you have success. You you know, the average person has dated so many different people and you're maybe going to get married once, twice. I I don't know. I know a couple of people have been married like three times, but ultimately you're going to have tons of failure in relationships until you kind of find that perfect one or, or even my min, minor failures within the perfect relationship to, oh, to make it perfect. You have to be like willing to have fights it, and like little minor. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you're ultimate, like learning to lose. I, I, I mean, that's the most Im, important thing. It's like, ultimately, you know, you could get bummed out and get sent into a tailspin when, your business fails when a client fires you when a meeting goes unsuccessful i mean and and it's all essentially what you do after that failure yeah. that will lead to success but so how do you pick yourself back up i mean i've thought about this a lot just because it's sort of this like slogan that i'm trying to like turn into a brand but like i'm just wondering in those times of fuck dude like this is crazy like how do you keep going i mean ultimately for me it's like if you genuinely wholeheartedly believe that what you're doing is right that like you're going down a path that you're so passionate about you tend to not even think about it yeah because you actually like love doing it yeah you love you can't imagine doing anything else and And that's the whole premise of like enjoying the process and if you like doing it, then, yeah, then you just are going to have to keep doing it. <clears throat> I, I almost wish that, that, that like our society didn't even have words like failure or loss or winning or losing. Like I almost feel like those words hinder us in a lot of ways, you know? And I, and I'm almost, I'm a little bit annoyed right now because like Gary V has been 
like, I don't know if you, you, you see that post that I put on the learning to lose page where he says like, I, I, I love to lose or he goes, he's like, yeah, he, he's obsessed with losing. Okay. But, na- but now he's, he's put, well, that was just one but, post, but, but winning and losing is so, it's so subjective, you know, like, I don't know. I saw this letter. It, it was like some viral thing that was on Facebook that this principal sent out to all the parents at this high school. Mm-hmm. And it said, okay, all your kids just took the midterms. Like, parents, I want you to know, like, your professional athlete son might fail his math test. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like, he's not meant to be a mathematician. You know, that, that daughter who, you know, failed history is not meant to be a historian. She might end up running a company. And it's, I think it's just so... Winning and losing becomes so subjective. I think it's very rarely is it black and white. You're either a winner no, or a loser. It's like never. It's it's the. I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's that gray area because there's always going to be somebody, quote unquote, more successful than right. you, and there's always going to be somebody less successful than you. But if your competition is just yourself yeah that's i was literally just gonna say that it's like growth yeah am i doing something better than i was doing yesterday but that exactly that school scene is is cool it's i like that we're getting more progressive as things are more transparent and people are communicating more like even when i was just over at cisco adler's house he was talking about his his, you know his is putting his son to a school in malibu that's like obviously super expensive and whatever but he's like yo these classes they're like six per person classes. There's no grades. They're just reports on like giving you an update wow. and they, they find what the kids are interested in and they morph the classes. Like they'll, the same six might, and they'll shift the kid to another class as they form these like pods and they like formulate the interest of what they're going to learn. And they sort of embrace dude. Like it just seemed when I was growing up, like I feel like I never, because I'm on some like punk rock shit, like I never really like, like, oh, this is the way the world does it, but I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. My mind was always like, I feel like, what if like me and all my friends, like we all like to do a certain thing. What if we all just like put all our intelligence and motivation and creativity, creativity yeah. and we used it together to build something wouldn't that be like, and then I would like also see like how stupid just like people are. And I would go and like work for whatever, like whoever, or I would see someone who's like successful. I'm like, this person's like not like, that seems like kind of retarded, you know, like why? And I would just look to my friend not that like we're better than anyone or whatever, but like, you know, and, and I just always am paralleling like Gary Vee or Joe Rogan, just cause I love like a lot of their messages. And he talks about like, just get a fucking house with a bunch of your friends and like just build something, you know? And I just feel like our society because of the internet is turning more into that now. Um, where I mean, great ideas are coming from everywhere. And, and you see like people starting home businesses in their garage, turning into multi-billion dollar companies, you know, over the course of like, yeah, I mean, some of the most successful people I know didn't go to school, yeah. didn't graduate from an A-level university. Some of the least, I'm, I'm using quote, yeah. successful people I know had straight A's and this and that, you know, the, like, mm-hmm. 
those two, I think are really unrelated yeah. and, and society years ago thought they were very related, you know, and our schools better start doing shit like this because like the shit is changing. Yeah. It's been pretty broken for a while. Right. It's weird. <laughs> just a forced, the forcing you to want to care about certain subjects that the way that they're forced, you're not even going to figure out a way to care about them because they're being force fed it. You know, it moved. No, it just stops recording after. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, we, 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 we pick. This gets posted on the Apple podcast app. And then I'm actually putting, I'm starting back. This is like the 50th episode almost. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, we post the, we're, we're, we're going back to the first one. And we have a Learning to Lose a YouTube channel. And we're posting each podcast from the very beginning, the whole podcast on YouTube because it's like, and then this, well, they're not there now. No, not like the whole, I mean, that's like two hours. Yeah. So you know, what, but and, what, what is that? Why does that make a difference? Well, because you're missing out on views that like some people just listen to Joe Rogan on YouTube and I've always, I don't wanted, know but I'm saying. Why haven't you been putting them on there? Well, we, we, we have some of them were up on the Ridge YouTube, but it was like, should we really be posting two hour podcast on? I just been trying to figure out like, like you've always said, like you can't be doing all these different things. Yeah. You should have a different YouTube channel. So so now now that we, well, we were, we were posting the full podcast in the beginning, but then we kind of stopped and we started just doing like smaller, like 10 minute, Instagram, YouTube things Mm -hmm. and then Instagram things. But then it's just like time and like, but now we're just going back and we're putting every episode on the learning to lose YouTube and the video part of it is important. Cause like people want to see, like you said, air quotes or whatever. Um, but, uh, it, the, the, the ones that we don't have full, full video. Well, I'll, I'll even do that. Any of the podcasts that have the YouTube, a lot of times, even when I'm driving in my car, I'll go to Joe Rogan's YouTube yeah. over the podcast just because I won't be watching it while I'm driving, but like then I'll, I'll check in just yeah. see the guy's face. The, the problem, yeah, you want you want a look of the face, you but, want, you, and then yeah. if they're showing, you know, this is what the ship looked like when he saw the alien aircraft. I'm but like, okay, I'm the, looking. The, the problem with that though is that like the the app, the YouTube app, isn't as like good when it comes to listening to things as the Apple the podcast app is like the podcast app will always go back to right where you left off. And it also has all the podcasts right there. Whereas the YouTube app, like if you go to a different video on YouTube, it's like hard to go back to the podcast. Yeah, I know what you mean. You don't like, it's just not as intuitive as the podcast app is, but a lot of people aren't like even on the podcast app. They're just, they, they like, they're just on YouTube. Yeah. So you, or a lot of yeah, people, you might as well do both. A lot of people aren't on either. So yeah. So we're just doing both. Dan, but, are you even listening to podcasts? I'm, I'm doing a couple. I'll be honest. There's you, a couple I listen to. What do you got? I mean, it's just, honestly, I got to kind of figure out the ones that I really like. Cause I have at this point right now, just a combination of different ones that like yeah. friends will send me. And I think it's kind of like, I'm slowly getting to know each one and figuring out which ones I like. I'm looking forward to listening. So ask me in a month or two and I'll have a better idea. You haven't really like jumped 
in. Yet. Yeah, I haven't jumped full full into like, oh yeah, I listen to Joe Rogan every you know. But you've week listened or, to like a few of his. Yeah, I've listened to a few of his. I By mean, the way, that Joe Rogan comedy show we were going to got canceled too. Oh my god! Just there is another one. Yeah, it's like our friend, one of our f- friends. Uh, has been super excited about like her birthday party going to this thing. <laughs> we all, everybody all rallied and got tickets and we're doing a whole thing. But yeah. But yeah, I mean with everything that's going on, I mean, I know people whose weddings are canceled. Yeah. Who for like, sure. you know, paid the caterers, rented out the venue and it's like, can't, like, I think it's actually legal to have more than 250 people together now. I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I know. What is that? Is it actually illegal or just recommended? I think corporations won't mess well, with it. Well, this is what like, it is. If you're doing that, you're like being frowned upon because yeah. you're like contributing. Yeah. It's like, it's like to like the end of the world. People are taking it that far. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really, it's going to get more messy before it gets better. Cause even the, the big scale stuff, the festivals, the amount of lawsuits that are about to happen is just crazy. But even then on the small scale, just weddings, all, all the small independent vendors are going to try. Yeah, and- what wedding photographers to caterers to, I mean, this is going to affect so many people in so many different ways. Because uh, look, in society, we're all connected. You know, we're so connected. It's showing us more than ever right now how connected we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. Russell Brand had a good statement on that. I mean, oh, I didn't get to watch that whole thing. Let's look at something as simple as like all of a sudden a wedding photographer. Let's let's talk about how a wedding photographer could affect somebody like me. That wedding photographer who's not going to have work for the next month is probably canceling Spotify realistically. Mm. You know, so she or he could have more money for food or pay their rent. Right. So they're going to start cutting out a bunch of things that aren't necessary. hundred percent. And that's going to affect all of those people. The, 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 The thing for me that's making it not like, I'm like not panicking because the, 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 the playing field has been leveled. So it's not like someone can leave us and go somewhere else. Like yeah. everyone is getting affected, which for me, it's like, oh, it's not, it's not as scary as I would have thought it was if this was something that was like just affecting our company. Cause then yeah. that makes us like the world. Yeah. Is yeah the entire world. I, I mean, so, that's what's so crazy. It's, it's almost it's, for, for me, I'm almost excited and I actually am happy I think because I think sometimes this type of shit has to happen for us to like grow as a, as a society. Yeah, for the, I mean, this is actually as, as far as we've been alive, I mean, this is something that affects literally every human being. So if you think yeah, about it, it's sometimes really there's crazy. like, you know, you turn on the news and there's a war in, in, you know, Russia and whatever. It's like, that's so far away. That's not affecting anybody or like, Oh, there's a tornado in Kansas. It's like, okay, that has unfortunately pretty much no effect on us here in LA. And so this is the first like global pandemic, at least that we've been alive for to where it's like the world economy is crashing. Yeah. China and, um, Italy and Spain are the three right like now. How, yeah, I mean those are the ones that are getting hit the hardest. How, they're just they're just ahead of us. That's yeah, they're all. just but ahead of us. Where did it start? I mean, from what I gather, China or South Korea, one of the two. They don't really know, but yeah, they're saying China. But I mean, 
you know, we just watched that, uh, that movie contagion contagion and, and part of the movie, they're literally trying to figure out where it came from. And you know, when two people are shaking hands, it's like, Oh, that person gave it to that person. Dude, this How is do you so know? Because crazy. it could have been that person who Steve, gave it. Steve and Andrew are about to watch Outbreak. Yeah. Like they're all trending. All they're like, trending on. What? Yeah. So well, I think, insane, dude. I think part of why people are watching it is they're like, let me learn from the mistakes in the movie and like, yeah. you know, not, I mean, I'm, I'm not play like, with the monkey that has the killer virus, but I, I don't think it's that obvious. We're in such an unknown. You're just, you're looking, it's for some reason it gives you like comfort. Like right. even the news is like, even though it's kind of given fear, like just being like, just doing anything you can to relate. And it's no, I mean, like look, a subconscious like, thing. Yeah. I, I have friends who think what we're doing right now, the three of us being in a room together is, absolutely batshit insane i have a friend who you know had an emergency food just kind of like how i do and is not leaving his house for a month and a half and it's just like you know what i just want to be safe i just want to be safe at the same time i'm kind of in the school of thought of like if this is going to get crazy and a bunch of people are going to die i don't know i've always thought in like the the zombie apocalypse. Like, do I actually want to survive that and be one of the last 10 people on earth? I, right. I don't, I don't know that I really want that. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I just, you know, obviously we're, we don't really, us three sitting in this room are not really having to fear well, death. We can, we can yeah. be, I'm in more fear, like the financial side, but we just can't, I'm just trying not to be like negligent and like also inconsiderate of like, you know, the, the elderly and all, all that kind of stuff. So I'm just not going to like, I'm not throwing a 500 person party and then yeah. wandering around the streets. But I mean, it, it, I just keep thinking about like mother Nate, mother earth, like just doing what like needed to be done. That's, that's just like fucked up. But like forests pol- burn down cause they need to like replenish and spread the seeds. Yeah. And like, like pollution yeah, is ba- down. the movie Bambi. <laughs> Pol- no, I mean, pollution is down like crazy yeah. and it's only been a couple weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's something to it. I mean, it it's kind of like... Also, like, the old guard, this sounds fucked up, but, like, old people, a lot of old people are stuck in a certain mind frame that's actually hurting. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm just saying, I'm not basing that on any, like, facts. I'm just saying from what I, I just feel like... We're evolving at such a rap, at like an exponential rate because of the internet and because of technology that like the old guard is getting left behind w- w- when it comes to certain like mental concepts and like emotional intelligence. Like we're talking about like our parents weren't talking about this type of shit, like, like how losing is good and, and ego. And I just feel like that for me is all has always been the key to success. It starts in the mind. Yes. And if your mind's fucked up, you're never going to make it through. I mean, I was just watching Remember the Titans last night with Denzel. And it's like, you we, know. We watched Denzel last night, too. Yeah. It's I'm like, continuing that. I'm actually pulling at you right now where, like, I just did one Tony Scott. I mean, not, I did a Cameron Crowe, Vanilla Sky. I'm like, fuck it. On to Jerry Maguire, which, by the way. Oh, it's that's, the best. That, if anybody that hasn't rewatched that in a while, a while it's fucking phenomenal. And then Say Anything. And we still got a couple more to hit. I did almost famous recently too. Mm. And then I'm about to even dive into Elizabeth town, which is like a 30%, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> but wait, Cameron Crowe did the, did the one with, uh, 
with uh, Matt Damon in the zoo. Yeah. So I haven't seen that. So I'm about to yeah. watch that. And, and I also did PJ 20, which is the Pearl Jam doc. Yeah. I got to see that. Yeah. That I got to see. No, it's dope to like go down a director. I know. I haven't done enough of that. Yeah. To it's, be the, quite it's the best. Cause then you really get to like feel like their style. Yeah. Like when you watch Vanilla Sky and Jerry Maguire, there is such a similar yeah, music. Like it's like his heart. Yeah. Like, uh, um, and then, then we did, we started it with Tony Scott too. And that's just another, you just like real, yeah, it's it. a real, but like, dude, like Pelham one, two, three might be the weakest one though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, Domino is the weakest one. Oh, I haven't. Yeah. That's like his, one of his newer ones, but, um, have you seen, um, history of violence or Eastern promises? Oh, with Vigo? Yeah. Not, it's like a lot of times I'll say yes, okay, but like if okay. I can't picture the plot, so I, I might as well say no. So I recently, or actually when I say recently, I mean like a year or two ago. And it's anyone listening, like this is the cool thing about this is like, so David Cronenberg is like probably like the illest overlooked director of all time. He did the fly video drone, um, a movie called spider. I don't know any of these yeah. titles. Well, you know, the fly, the fly is like, no, I don't. it's with Jeff Goldblum and he's like, it's I like, I don't think I saw that. Yeah. I don't, I don't it's know. like, dude. Okay. He did. Um, he's kind of like a horror film guy, but like in a drama genre. So it's like drama. That's so fucking intense. Like, Eastern Promises is with Viggo Mortensen and it's about like, um, you know, Russian, Russian mafia shit, but it has this just, just David Cronenberg is someone that everyone should just like, what's his newest movie? Um, he, he did one with, uh, with Edward. Why do I want to call who's, who plays Edward in, um, in twilight, you know, good time. Uh Robert Pattinson. Robert Pat. I always call Robert Pattinson Edward. Because <laughs> well, that's of, his name in Twilight. Yeah, I know it's stupid. So, so, so Robert Pattinson did one called Cosmo, uh, Cosmodro, Cosmopolit or something, and that was like his newer one. I mean, he. I don't not. I don't think um, unless I'm forgetting something. I don't think he's done anything since then. But let me just look. I'm gonna have to be my own. People are gonna be able to do some deep dives on movies right now. I think that's the one thing is like, while we're we just got to batten down the hatches while everybody's going to lose out financially for a bit. I'm bummed that I'm not going to be going on vacations anytime soon, but if we can really take the time to actually work on ourselves, work on, yeah, like, like I'm going to be internal, doing, I'm going to be doing more podcasts. Yeah, I'm going to be shooting more like little scenes. Cause that's another thing we're doing is we're shooting scenes that kind of like, parallel this idea of like, like, you know, ego or losing or like, you know, drug addiction and stuff. Um, it's but, a good time. If everybody no, takes, it, takes a beat to really do yeah. inward dives, you know, listen to podcasts that are, can help you mentally. Yeah. I mean, we all have out, that, like, like, we all have that like rainy day kind of like list. It's like, Oh, when like one day I'll get to this one day, I'll watch this movie one day when I have yeah. time. And it's like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. We've got plenty of time. Yeah, Co- Cosmopolis with. Um, He's killing himself with that title there. 
Yeah, it's it actually wasn't <laughs> very. It's like he he Robert Pattinson like you know after after he did um, Twilight he was like you know he felt like Kurt Cobain did after the success like he never wanted he never thought that movie was going to be such a big success and he wasn't it wasn't the cool indie film that he thought it was going to be but it gave him like so much success and then he was like after that he specifically chose to work with like you know like good time with the safety brothers and cosmopolis with david cronenberg and i i from what i've heard he's always wanted to work with like um harmony corinne and um wait you just sorry to cut you off you touched on something um so rad that's I, I, I think maybe something that's worth our time. It's like the coolest thing is when people have success. I mean, real yeah, yeah, massive yeah. success when they're just not even trying for it. Right. You know, I, I see this all the time that yeah. the kid with a guitar in their bedroom, you know, and that, that's, I yeah. don't know, that kind of success to me is so amazing compared to like, when well, there's a big team of people and well, well, in, in, and yeah. they're well funded and like, do you know well, what I mean? In Robert's case, he I don't think that like like true artists don't necessarily not want success. They just want it to be like dope, right? Yeah. And they want it to be like what they want it to be, which usually doesn't mean mainstream because well, it usually means that it's going to affect a smaller group of people in a more profound way. Yeah. Like Harmony or Larry Clark or David Cronenberg. I mean, David, you know, I, I think Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese are like examples of how you can do something really dope, but also have it be like but, <clears throat> the, the ones it's the, it happens that they become bigger less of the time, but the ones that do, it's a much bigger long time. Like Nirvana, right. for example, right? Like because yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. not doing it for that reason. But when it was that, it was so genuine that it's like, it became oh, it's, evergreen. It's, it's yeah. like genuine success. Yeah. Genuine success versus like a bunch of people in a corporate board, like trying to manufacture success, I guess. Yeah. Like, like, like I, I want to say Billie Eilish is a kind of a good example yeah. of Yeah. That. Like innocent and Tame yeah. Impala. Like I want to say like, that's why I love M83 and, and, and MGMT. I think MGMT is a good example of that too. Um, I think Vampire Weekend is is a good. Uh, I like the fact that I went to like the last event. <laughs> to Tame Impala at the forum was like, they just squeezed the last right. show in at the forum, and they're like, pretty much we were talking to one of the main guys at the forum while we were there, and he's like, yeah, this is probably gonna be it for. I a mean, minute. they did have Tame Impala the night after, um, and I think that yeah. was the last. That was show. the last, last. That was the last last show. I got a good one. I. I I, I went, you know, I, you know, it was my birthday. So, you know, you know, I like to take a little mushroom from time to time, but I'm like, we're like really enjoying the show. And I'm like, fuck, I need to just uh, stretch my legs, take a little breath here, you know, get away from everybody for a second. So I walk back to the forum club to go grab a drink and then I roll in. I'm just kind of like, I don't want to talk to anybody for a second. Cause I'm just kind of like fucking, it's a lot going on for me at the moment. And then, uh, to my left pops Beck and to my right pops Diplo. Whoa. And now I'm just like two dudes that of course I want to talk to, but I'm kind of not in the headspace where I'm trying to have like a, like a deep conversation with one of my idols and then somebody that I kind of know. Yeah. And especially it's, I've realized at that moment, the weirdest thing is like when you kind of know something like me and Diplo 
kind of know each other. You, you, he, like, you, you would he have recognizes to, you. Yeah, he recognizes me, but he doesn't know from you where. You would have to like, you know, catch like, him do, up. Really. Yeah, like, do you remember that one time in Vegas? Like, yeah. it was, you were wearing that, like, and which so we, basically happens to him every day. Yeah. And, and so sure. I, exactly, and I know that too. So I started going through that, and I was just like, oh my God, this is exhausting. I'm going to catch him up. And then, then we're all of a sudden, then Jason walks up and we're talking about sonics of drum sounds with Beck. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I mean, speaking of guys that I think fit right into that category, Diplo and Beck. And I think that like the guys in my mind who did it like the best are like probably Daft Punk. Like, and I think the French have this like really cool thing where like they're fucking obsessed with like perfecting something so much that they don't, they don't even care about the results. It's almost like Steve always used to talk about this. Like they, they appreciate like fine, like wine and cheese and like the French, like when you go to France, they like take like a long the Japanese. Have, it, have you been before? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Japanese like, French. The, ja- some the Japanese are like yeah. that very much. So that's like, so dope. Like, and I think that America being this like business capital, capital, uh, capitalism. Yeah. Like it, 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 yeah, it just kind of, you know, Kellen was saying this cause he just got I back. Think there's from- a balance though, you know, because sometimes when you go too hard in that French shit, like you don't, you don't, there's probably like a fucking million Daft Punks that never got success in France. I don't know. But kind of what you're talking about to I'm an extent like is like devaluing capitalism. No, no, I think it's, it's important. You it's, know, it's, it's kind of like passion, right? Yeah. So like, if you ever talk to anybody who like just has unrelenting passion for what they do, you know, I I've been on a trip recently where it was like wine tasting and you could kind of tell the difference between some vineyards where it's like somebody's talking about it and it's like, this is our red, this is our that, you know, it's very kind of mechanical. And then you, you talk to some people who like, you could feel them like digging in the earth and planting plants. Like the way they talk about their product or what they do. Like, this is going to be amazing. This person cares so fucking much about providing something truly incredible. And I think that's, you know, that by the way, that's what I think success is. Right. Whether or not, whether or not that vineyard sells more wine than other ones, that's success. That's like, literally trying to push the boundary forward of whatever well, it is you're doing whenever, music wine food well wh- whenever movies. whenever you're happy with it and you've gone as far as you want to go with it then you've succeeded in creating the thing <clears throat> that you wanted to create yeah. but like dude daft punk like i just trip on them i just trip on like how how insane like what they did Actually, I don't think people really like, I don't really, I still to this day, like don't really know what they look like. Yeah. I don't think anybody does. It's insane. I mean, that's what you can really, you can look it up. Yeah. But like, dude, there are some fucking like, do you know how hard it would be to like, when you first start getting some success to be like, no, we're we're not going to do that interview. Yeah, no, I mean, like, to oh not even have your fit God, to like, like and, then, and then if we are going to do it, like you can't, we're going to have to do it in our helmets. Like, 
what you guys are actually kind of retarded and insane and like okay whatever Wait, have they done I actually don't know this have, in they, the very have be- they done interviews in the they, very do- very very beginning in like the 90s in like the late 90s they talked with their helmets on like yeah but like, muffled, only like- a, there's like a, a, a couple like I think there's like one interview you know <laughs> like right after their name like th- their name came from an article that someone wrote about describing their sound as like daft punk, which is like daft isn't like a good word to describe anything. It's kind of like bland, I think, or something. Daft like punk. And they it was an actually it was actually a negative article about them and they're like, oh that's cool. Let's name ourselves that. And I think they did like one interview and then they figured out what they were actually and I think like by creating stuff, by doing the thing, you you figure out what that thing is and what it can be. I also think that's like an, an, a, a really important lesson I've learned in like doing things is like to sit down and try to plan like the whole, it's like you got to like start like doing it to figure out what it is, you know? No, definitely. I mean, it it always kind of cracks me up where like sometimes you meet with like, you know, in my field, it's like young songwriters and producers. Right. And, and you kind of talk to them about like what they want to do and achieve. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy how some of them come in with like, well, five years from now, I want to be working on the Taylor Swift record. Uh And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa." like at your stage of where you're at, like you just got to worry about like the next like month, you know, and, and then kind of just go where it takes you, you know? Because five years from now, who Taylor might not even be an artist, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, some people have really unrealistic expectations and mainly look too far out. You right? Know? Yeah, um, that could be a that could affect them negatively. Yeah, their original progress. But yeah. I mean, I think that the having a goal like that is like I I, I can't imagine that that kind of a goal is coming from a place of like authenticity and like the pro like wanting to like, like loving the process. It's like a very result driven fear based, like goal of like uh, external results driven thing. It can where, be where, healthy to have a, no, a five year, are, but, a, a five year and a 10 year vision. That particular goal is like a too too defined. No, you know? no, it's, it's just a results Thing. It's like, it's like, I want to make the best music I can tomorrow. And I want to do a specific, like, I want to be a songwriter that matters. Right. Like five who, years whose from now dream is to be writing Taylor Swift songs. Like someone who's just wanting to be successful or like yeah. make a lot of money or like have like that. I think the, the, in the rare case that that's like an actual authentic, like I enjoy I don't know. It's like, hard to explain. No, like a better way is even like, you know, I want to write a song with an artist I know and look up to. That That's a much different way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's but, like, yeah. yeah, it's all about the, the process. Like Exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it, it's all about going like, I want to make amazing music. I want to work with artists that I look up to. Yeah. I, want to, and, I, I want to work with people that I've, I've like, yeah, been, ex, been excited about. And that's like where the, 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 this whole concept comes back into play. It's like, you know, you're not really thinking so much about 
winning or the results. You're more so thinking about like something that's more like inside you, you know, something that's more, um, authentic and, and something that's, uh, it's like Jordan Peterson talks about, um, winning and losing. Jordan Peterson talks about like the game of life. It's not like a game. It's series. It's a series of games. It's games every day. It's games every, every minute. Yeah. Every second. And and then he talks about teaching your kid to, to play well with others, like to actually play the game, to enjoy playing the game and to be able to play it with other people. Well, rather than just wanting to win. Yeah. I, you know, I have, I have such a good story about that. And I, I remember one of my friends, uh, Jeremy, um, and, and he was too smart for, for where we were, but you remember for a little bit, uh, golden eye on, you know, you know, oh, the yeah. James Bond game for sure. And I remember, I remember he like, he had the system and he had the game and everybody would come over and play. And yeah, I remember I, that was at my house too. Yep. Yeah. And so, like he was so profound and now looking back on it, this has probably been fuck 25 years later. Um, I remember we all came over one day and everybody was playing and it was like our first little thing about gambling, right? Like everybody brought $5 and like the person who won this like tournament and everything would win it all. And I remember Jeremy like owned the system and he ended up coming in like something like fourth place. There were 10 of us. And I remember him just like having this huge like smile on his face. Like at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, why the fuck are you so happy? Like you didn't win anything. He's like, dude, look at how amazing this day's been. Like all of us have been here having this great time. Like I fucking won, you know? And I remember like being so young, but being like, holy shit, actually that that's kind of rad. He like facilitated. Yeah. Yeah, He facilitated. He got all the people together. And I mean, look, I think like, that is is something that we all have in common. I think like creating something, whether one person appreciates it, a thousand people, a million people, that's what drives people like us, people like my clients. That's what that's what success is for a songwriter, for an artist, for videographers, like creating something that like impacts people, even in a small little way, like in my business if you could affect somebody in three minutes or however long that song is and have a positive impact on their life, or just honestly, even not even positive, just an impact, right? Cause sometimes a negative impact could affect somebody positively. Right. But like that, that's, what's the most amazing thing. If you could just create something out of nowhere, that's what drives society for. That's what drives everyone. And that's like the most beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I've, uh, a lot of the people I look up to that I um, sort of, they're like people that I'm influenced by are, are impacting the the world. But like, it's actually not in a, like to, to imp, like art is meant to touch you and it's not, you don't actually have control over how it touches someone. So like some of my favorite things like gummo, for example, or kids or, they're like a lot of people probably don't like those things, but they touched them. Whether it was good or bad, that's like no, art I mean, is meant to be like sometimes paintings are made just to make you feel like scared or or like not like good or it's like I mean look like in Veronica, will you press record on that? 
I mean, even in music, and, and I'm only bringing it up because that's where I work, it's like I know positive songs that have affected people negatively, right? Like, yeah. If you're just going through a shitty breakup and you hear a song about like how amazing love is, that, you know, that, that can have a negative effect. So yeah. even a positive song about how great love is is affecting somebody in a negative way that, where they're like, fuck, I just had that. But ultimately... You know, that's that's the point of art. It it will affect everybody in different ways. People, you know, people will watch different movies for different and, and pull away different things and feel differently about them. The problem with like me and the whole like James Bond like com- like analogy is that like I am by nature like super competitive. That's the problem. Like I don't like because you're, but you're worried about the results. Yeah, I as was. opposed to like enjoying. I, I was en- enjoying s- playing your friends for so long, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's such a struggle for me, in particular, and that's why I need to do this because, like, I don't like I'll avoid certain competitive things just because I can't deal with that feeling of losing. Yeah, I, but 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 that just comes from like <clears throat> a um, a. Uh, a warped perception of what that means. Like you're not a loser because you lost a game, but I think I am because I'm like insecure and whatever. My dad never gave me enough fucking attaboys. So I'm like constantly looking for those, but like, yeah, if you break off the tip, also watch how much like a weight you're putting on that. Cause they're kind of like cheap. Like, if you keep it bent, it won't have so much. Yeah, like that. That's a good. Yeah, I just need to be less. I need to constantly remind myself of that. Like, I just want to have fun with my friends and losing. No, I mean, like, like when your girlfriend says, I, why didn't you do this? And you're like defending yourself till the bitter end because you're like afraid that she'll see that you're really a piece of shit. I mean, it's some high level psychology shit, but like, that's like my thing, you know? Yeah, I can. I can get. I'm so competitive when I'm in it. And I'll do my damnedest to win whatever tournament that is, but I definitely turn it off right after it happens. Yeah, I don't know how. I'm like, like, then it's just because there's nothing for me more important than like doing shit with my friends. Yeah. There's nothing in my my life. The the only thing I really care about is is doing that. And it's actually, if you surround yourself with friends and you keep those relationships always, you can celebrate everybody's wins. Right. And then it's like, I'm winning all the time because I, in my inner circle, I've got wins happening all day long. Yeah. And then it's like sort of counteracts some of the losses. Do you remember that game of Monopoly we played in Mammoth or in Big Bear with Carrie Garwood and it became like a really, really, I don't even remember what happened that night. Yeah. It came gnarly. But it got so gnarly because there's a point in monopoly where you can start doing some side dealing trades Those yeah really like no, no. taking everyone's it's really gnarly yeah i remember that. i don't yeah you're right but I don't see that's the thing though is like monopoly is like the game of life no but you have different equity and then every time someone steps on it you're benefiting from their thing and it's like um no i mean look on a on like a primal level right there is that ingrained in us like survival of the fittest and only the strong survive and and it it like on a 
yeah, on a primal level, we're supposed to succeed, right? There, there's, <clears throat> there's two human beings and there's one animal to eat, right? Like only one of them is going to get that animal to yeah. eat and survive. But now we've got into a point, I think, in society where it's like, no, actually, we could share that animal and we could all eat. And like, yeah. what if we work with a team of us? We could capture more animals to eat, yeah. you know? So I think like the evolution of success, the evolution of like enjoying the process, the evolution of like not being so result driven is now much more possible than it. it just, was. just like to be happy. Yeah. Just well, to be. what is it going to take for me to just be able to like be happy? I, I mean, it's the only goal for I, me, for you. I mean, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For me, it's just being pretty close probably to what yours is, but being with, being with friends i'm just like like being in like a nice pack which makes you happy which makes me happy yeah like because who wants to be successful and miserable yeah no i mean look like success if you don't have anybody to share your success with yeah are you are you really successful it's you know? weird because like certain really successful people they share it with like others that are like afraid of them or like need them or like they you know if you step on enough people to get above everyone they're gonna be like afraid of you and resent you but they're also gonna like want like need to have a good relationship with you and that's like where it gets like tricky for some people w what are some of your like favorite pieces like what do you listen to I mean, it's, you know, it's funny and kind of fucked up at the same time. It's, it's, you know, I'll use Tim as an example and then I'll come to me yesterday. We're watching, uh, a, a movie with, with our friend Noel and, and Tim would like talk about how amazing the shot is and the cinematography. And for me, with what, these, what movie was it? What, what were we watching? Oh, Queen and Slim, which is fire. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Noel would want to watch. No, that. I, I, no, yeah, I, 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 but it's a I good one it. to watch with Noel. Has yeah. she not seen no. it? No, it was, I gotta it was see dark. It, it is really yeah, it good. Really the cinematography good. Like, is. I know the cinematography is going to be amazing just from the poster, but like, is it really like a good movie? Hundred percent. Yes. Oh, no, it's amazing. Yeah. That shit's so, like bizarre. I would, I'd give that thing a ninety-five. So, wow. So it's like, unfortunately for me musically because i have to listen to so much music for work and my ears get tired it's like very rarely do i get to listen to music for for fun anymore without kind of picking it apart so like for me there's very few new artists that i'm i'm a fan of like i try to and i try and listen and and there are like a handful of ones that like touch me as a fan mm -hmm. right that i can look past it you know, but, but really it's like a lot of the things that I listened to as a kid, as a teenager that I still kind of come back to, yeah. you know, before music my, was my career. Um, so I still listen to like all my old, you know, punk rock from like Lagwagon to No Use for a Name, like the Fat Records days what? to like Epitaph. I mean, that's what I grew up listening Damn. to. I mean, I had my like bar mitzvah tupac biggie he's got like, some weird ones he likes Beastie 10 Boys. foot pole yeah 10 foot pole. come on yeah. 10 foot pole was a great great <laughs> punk rock band. yeah I, I should get into them more i didn't never really dove deep enough into them well i re i remember what the, about like oh, pulley pulley of course i wow. mean well pulley and 10 foot pole actually shared a singer i think it was right. like that baseball pitcher yeah and i remember yeah, being yeah. like that's so cool he's like a baseball player and sings punk rock and like yeah i just became a fan of both 
But yeah, that's um, why I mentioned them because I knew there was some kind of correlation. I yeah, I think it was like the lead singer of Ten Foot Pole left Ten Foot Pole to start Pulley. Yeah, and there was also something about one of the members of Pulley coming from early Strung Out or going to Strung Out or something in that vein. But yeah, I mean those were those were the bands I listened to. And so, so do, do you do you like understand? Do you realize like? what Joey Cape is like singing about when, when, when you listen to Lagwagon, like a lot of the times, like, yeah, when I, I mean, I was, I was definitely, and, and maybe that's why I ended up being in music. Like I was definitely the kid who would listen to the music, but also like go through like the liner notes and like who produced this and like where the studio was and like read all the lyrics and, but you like, know. but like, what do you think? Lagwag, like, I mean, not that all their songs are about any one thing, but like, do you have any, like, what would be your opinion on like what they sing about? I don't really know all their lyrics either, but like, I just feel like Lagwagon's always talking about like some weird high level, like emotional. Yeah, like, no, but I mean, insecure, like their lyrics are super like complicated and like, like almost like poetic in like an in like in your like cleaning up the mess inside my head like it like like i i i have a i have to fake a smile for the friends that i like i hate my friends because they make me think about the smile that i'm faking yeah like weird like no no i mean they like a a lot of that stuff was really really deep same thing as no use for name yes um i yeah i remember I remember strung out too. Yeah, strung out too. I, I, I Dude, mean, no effects. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no effects definitely. Their and, lyrics and it, are all over the place. Though, I mean, like, with no effects, you know, just as like a Jew growing up, it right. was like it was like no effects and Beastie Boys was just yeah. like <laughs> we're Jews. What up? Like we actually have some decent artists. So you, yeah, you really were a music lover. Yeah, obviously. I mean, did I you mean, ever try to like make music or did you? Yeah. Just... I mean, look, I got into this because I was in a band and, and got into, you know, got in as an artist and then started producing. His band, his band got signed. Yeah, we got signed. What was it called? Uh, we were called Aces Down. We never released any music. We like broke up before we like our album ever came out, but we, we signed with a major label and, and you like, played a lot of shows. We played a handful of shows. We used to play the Cobalt, and then yeah, I remember. I, I want to say I re- I recognize that name because I was playing the Cobalt a lot, <clears throat> probably around the time you were. Yeah, I mean, we were. Well, yeah, how, exactly. how did you guys get signed? Like, how? how I mean, it was you, like the stupidest thing. Some like, kid who went gotta, to our high school, his dad was a record exec, and you know, pee. Incubus was this big band, and Hoobastank when yeah. what, they were the tourists, and they went to your high school, and I feel like. There was a buzz around Agora and Calabasas. We 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 were had interest a different band that uh, you know before I was in After Midnight Project with Jason Evigan. We were in you know I had this band called ATP and we had all these like A and R guys sniffing around because we could sell out the Key Club, but it was basically just our friends really, or just our whole high school. And but because of Incubus and everything, there was like a okay, what else is what's going on with the water here in this town like. Yeah, it was like there was nothing to do out in out here, right? Like this was well before Calabasas had the Kardashians and Bieber and all that. And it was like you'd focus on school. Some people did sports and like some of us would lock ourselves up in a garage and play music. And then all of a sudden, you know, record exec dad asked his kid, like, who's the hot new band in your high school? And it happened to be us at the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he came out and saw you guys play and was like, let's do this? Yeah, let's do this. You guys are great. What label was it? I think it was like through Sony BMG, but it was so long ago. It's funny. I found the contract maybe a couple years back and I like looked through it and I was like, we had the shittiest attorney because it was like the worst terms ever. It was like, <laughs> like we almost signed like a boy band type deal where like they just own you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they definitely gave us some money and that's kind of what spurred, you know, for me personally going into the recording studio the first time, like my mind was blown. I was like, I thought a recording studio is you'd go in, you'd set up just like you're playing a show and they'd record you all. And that was my first time doing like multi-tracking and yeah. like, wait, we could try out different snare drums or different like stomp pedals on the guitar and experiment. And like, I lost my shit. I was like, this is the most yeah. amazing creative space to be in. I was like, I need one of these at home. So <laughs> you know, it just reminded me of the story where me and, uh, Chris Fortell, our buddy, our mutual friend of all of us three, and Gus Canazio, another mutual friend of all of us. Gus was working at NRG Studios, which is like famous for Lincoln Park yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Um, Chris Fortell now runs AR for Epitaph. Wait, who is famous for Lincoln Park? NRG Studios. Uh, and there was like one time where we decided we were going to uh, start this band. And Gus had, uh, you know, a friend over at NRG, and they gave us a week for free in the A room. And with an engineer, access to every instrument, the whole thing. We went in there with this like amazing opportunity, and all we did for a week was invite girls over <laughs> and drink in the studio. Oh, and we all it was called Orion. And Orion, Orion yeah. No, and then we like we recorded one. I think basically one instrumental is what we got through wow. in a week, and we had this like great opportunity. It was just early recording studio experience that was so aces down. Why did it not work? I mean, so for me personally, for me personally, I got accepted to to USC and and to kind of bring things full circle. I just kind of felt like going to university and, and that was an opportunity. Look, my parents are kind of first, I was first generation. Like my parents immigrated over here and it was like, okay. The, from, from where? Um, Argentina and Israel. And, and it was like how hard they worked to get me to a place where like, shit, I got this offer to go to USC and, and, you know, ultimately at the time, it's funny at the time I didn't want to, I wanted to take like a leave of absence and maybe take a year off and continue music. I'm really happy I didn't. Um, but ultimately at the time it was a really tough thing that I was wrestling with as a, you know, 17 year old kid, like here, you've got an opportunity. A lot of kids too. Yeah. Did, I mean, the same thing happened with Dane. He ended up going to San Diego and he pretty much broke up therapist, which I think could have been a great band. I mean, look, I, um, as part of what we did in the music business, um, we had found me and one of my clients, Ian, we had found this band playing in orange County called the Jakes. And they were an incredible band that we helped develop and did their first EP. Wait, the they one ended, that became Young and the Giant? Yeah, they ended up changing their name to Young the Giant. Mm. Really, really big band. They've had a lot of success. Ian and I found them before they had a manager or anything. Wait, so Ian was, I was in your band? I was trying oh, no, no. to sign the Jakes. Well, so I, I tried to yeah, sign them with Perry Watts Russell. Yeah, so Ian did that first their EP, Shake My Hand. Yeah, their attorney's deal it was just too gnarly. We couldn't do it. But, get it but what's crazy is I remember when we found them and they finally got a manager and this and this, um, the lead singer, I'm totally blanking on his name right now, 
was going to school at Stanford. And he comes from like a very like, I think it was like Indian, like traditional conservative family. And I remember whoever it was at the time had to call his parents and say, look, like this band could actually turn into something. Your kid's going to drop out or take a leave of absence from Stanford. And like, obviously I'm pretty sure they, they're glad they did. The band's had a, a shit ton of success. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that I think, uh, is, is really tough for a lot of kids when you're 17 yeah. years old. It's like, do you want to go to school and get a shit ton of debt to like learn things or are you going to just go off and do what you want to do? Yeah. I was also trying to sign Mike Posner and part of the deal when we were, I, I, I brought him in to meet with the whole label and everything. <clears throat> and part of the deal was we could sign him cause he had this, like he was making songs out of his dorm room, but and he got kind of big on campus. I think oh, yeah, he Duke. went to Duke. Duke he definitely yeah. went to Duke. So I remember Duke. this. And he had, so he started playing big shows at Duke, but then he had to promise his parents that he wouldn't do anything with the music outside of Duke until he was graduated. So that was like in the deal points when we brought him in, we didn't sign him. Um, and I regret that because right after he graduated, he had, it was cooler co- than me, cooler yeah. than me, which he already had that song too. When I brought him in. Wow. I was, I was, I had just finished like all my addiction studies courses at fucking Pierce when I like, I, I, I either could have done a bunch of hours or went and did the hypercrush thing was just like starting to happen. Um, yeah, fucking, it's just like, so, so, so you went to school. Yeah. So I went to USC. And then you, I graduated a corporate finance major and I did a music industry minor. And we were talking about this the other day. I started off in finance, like right after college, um, Ian and I were doing stuff like during college, he started doing web design, right? Mm. Like we had kind of fucked around in the studio. So so you guys weren't in aces down together, but he was like a friend. Yeah. He was a friend after. So after aces down, I built a studio at my parents' house and, and we met through some mutual friends and started working on music together, writing and producing and just kind of stayed in touch while we went to college. And, um, he ended up going to UC Santa Cruz. I went to USC. We got real jobs after and three months into real jobs. It was like, I'm not enjoying life. And like, I'm seeing myself going down a path of like being in a cubicle and working for like a big bank and none of it was exciting. And, and I left this like high paying job after college who a lot of kids like wanted my exact job and I was miserable. Yeah. And I called my parents. I'm like, do you guys mind if I move home and like get my old room back and, and try and do this music thing? And, and I'll never forget it. My parents are amazing. They're like, you've got two years, but yeah, like do it, you know, follow it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like <clears throat> learning to lose yeah. right there. Oh, definitely. Cause it wasn't about money. No, it, it like money comes when you wake up in the morning and you love what you do. But also we're lucky to have support. Yeah. No, I never want to yeah. like minimize that. But I think that no matter what situation you're in, like, I mean, Gary V talks about this all the time. Like, you can have a job and then also be like working towards a dream, even if it's just to fill your soul. Oh, definitely. I mean, to, to, to some extent, right. That's what, that's what hobbies are for some people. And, and ultimately a lot of people I think wish their hobby became 
their, their career. You and know? if you just keep doing it cause you love it and you don't care about the results, I think eventually you will start to see some, I mean, it's really crazy. Cause like at some point, hopefully I can start making, we can start making money on like the YouTube and the podcast. I don't know how, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's not what like drives me because if it was, I would be like, okay. You would have given up already. Yeah. yeah. If it did I mean, drive but, you, but, you wouldn't have success. But like, and if you're yeah. doing this from, from why but, you're doing this, but the idea of like being able, to, could you imagine if like this was like generating money? Yeah. That would just be beyond my wildest dream. Like I, that's to me personally, that's like better than like anything else I could ever think of. Like, Oh, cool writing songs to, and, and creating music. Oh, that's cool to make money. Um, making films. That's cool to make money, but like just sitting around talking to your friends, like what could possibly be better than that? So like the, the idea of being able to get sponsorship to, to do that is like so desirable to me that I'm just willing to just like do it just because I keep like doing it. But so, so you built a studio and you were just, you were making music too in the studio or was it yeah, just, Ian? just uh, it was me and Ian, just and whoever wanted to make music. Yeah. I mean, literally sometimes we would go out for the night and come back like after hitting the bars at like 2am and like smoke and like rap and just like, or just create like classical And your parents music. were like, if they really knew what you were doing, they'd be like, this fool's tripping. Yeah, no, definitely. But a hundred percent. But like, and then how did it become like, dude, this is how do you, now you're like fucking crushing it. This dude, by the way, has like a really nice house. It's yeah. obviously taken a long time for you to get to this point. I just, I remember like, like, oh, he got like a thing, you know, it was like, yeah, no, I mean, breathe Carolina, bro. Yeah, like breathe, we were breathe. on tour with breathe Carolina or we had just finished doing that tour and it was, uh, the blackout single. Yeah. Was that like the first big or that was, of- that was the first big one that we did, but it wasn't even like that big. I mean, what was big and I think it still kind of holds some weird record. That's is like, so fucking that was rad. a band on an indie that ended up having a huge pop single and then Columbia took it over. But what was so cool about that one is it was actually two of my clients. It was Simon Wilcox and Ian. And that was, that was the, actually the first real big moment. That was the first one where we're like no longer dealing with like the fearless records and smaller indies. And all of a sudden my inbox so, is like it's, Warner brothers and Atlantic and Columbia like kind of actually like is frustrating to me because I just feel like, like at that time, like, I don't know why we didn't get in the studio with one of those guys because like we had done records with red one and danger hands and, um, Mike Elizondo. And I mean, we were like in the studio with people. Yeah. Massive people. And I, mean, I feel like we should have done something with Ian. We just didn't, I don't know why that never happened, but could you imagine if that would have happened and we would have been able to get something that would have been so cool? No, it would have been rad. What's funny is like, actually Ian, happen? Ian, um, one of the first things he did for, for, I mean, universal Motown, which is now not really a label. That's where the, the uh, what after, was after Midnight, after Midnight Project and, and Hyper Crush? Oh, you guys were signed there too. So Shep Goodman, yeah, bro. So Shep Goodman reached out at some point, who had signed Evigan's band, and and sent us stems. And Ian did a remix of After Midnight Project. Him and Jason did <clears throat> not know each other wow. at all. Then I had known Jason, and um, and yeah, one of the first things for a label that Ian did 
was remixing After Midnight Project. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, it's weird when you get signed and our A&R guy probably just didn't have a relationship with you. Yeah, no, I mean... That's just why it didn't happen. But it's just so weird because, like, Tim has always been such a good friend of yours and I feel like that should have just... That should have happened. But, but, but Tim and I became good friends actually after, a couple yeah. of years after that. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I do. I don't know if you remember this because here I'll, I'll kind of fuck with you right now. You and I first met, I think you were, you were in your band. It could have been Hyper Crush. I actually think you were in a band with Evigan at the time. No, I was, yeah. And my first, first job, I was 16. I worked at Guitar Center. And you came in and you bought like a chaos pad or something. There mm. used to be this like thing where like you would move your yeah. you would move your hand over. I used my foot. Y- your foot. Because I was like DJing. Okay. So I would use my foot to do the thing. So you bought that thing from me when I worked at Guitar Center. Whoa. That's crazy. <laughs> I remember the chaos pad. So, so I remember him having that. So you were at Guitar Center. And you also had the studio at that time? So, so I had just built the studio and it was the funniest thing. This is where my like corporate, wow. this is where my weird corporate finance, like logical side of my head takes over is I go, okay, I've got a summer. I've, I've essentially got this like summer to like work and I'm trying to save up money for studio gear. So like in my head, I, I'm like looking at all the jobs I could get. And at Guitar Center, you get like 5% above cost. Yeah. You, you get paid not really well. It's like a hair, like minimum wage. But if you're trying to just buy equipment. Buy equipment with the discounts, it was like, I'm making a shit ton of money right now because mm-hmm. I'm saving all this money yeah. off of all the gear I'm trying to buy. At the same time, you're sitting around all day playing with the gear that you might buy. So it's like what a better way to try out a bunch of different mics than setting them up at Guitar Center. What a better way to try out different preamps or different like recording software than like sitting there and showing people how to use it all day. But just to put that into perspective, you were sick. I was in delusion yeah. at the time. Okay. I, I was maybe like, yeah, but, at 17, maybe okay, about to go like, to college. But since then, I've been in like other bands and had an entire thing with a hyper crush. And then now also have a whole different company with Tim with Ridge and you just stayed doing your thing and now you're crushing it. But it took oh yeah, I mean, 15 t- years. Yeah. At least yeah. like, that's the thing I just want like people like Wickham and like, like I feel like kids that work for us right now, they don't understand it takes like you got to give yourself five years just to even Get your like beak wet. Yeah, like and, and I mean we're so lucky to have been able to do the shit we. But it's not just because we we spent five years doing it. It's because we're coming from a previous ten years of relationship building. But yeah, no, we were yeah. we you were just hustling. Just keep. I mean, I thing. I remember like the low points. Like I remember. I'm trying to think of some low points that some people could latch onto. I remember literally having to check my bank account before I would take out a prospective client and like hold my breath at dinner to make sure they didn't order the market you know, price, the market price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The market price seafood. Cause I didn't know if I swiped my card, if it was about to get declined and just like 
really having that like but you're but you're ne- you would never like say that to them yeah of course not it was, like, it, it was as far like, as they're concerned you're like <clears throat> things are happening yeah, and i'm yeah, a successful yeah. manager yeah, yeah. and well i had that even when when we had you know we started our company together you know for i was bankrolling myself off of like you know i just left warner and i've never been the best at saving and so i had some money saved up but I burned through that so quickly when we're paying for an office space. Well, by the and way, rent and, what, not, what, and no income coming in. And what Tim's talking about is Tim and Dan started a management company. With Jeremy. Oh, I wasn't a part of that. Oh, yeah, indirect. I mean, we had we shared some. We client. shared an office space, and yeah, we shared a client. It was yeah. It Boys. Yeah. Tall, Tall's what, brothers. What was that yeah. called? Roxwell. And it was you and Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy Tobin. Jeremy Rosen, Tobin Watkinson, um, and then we, and then we had Brandon Goodman and um, and a couple Amanda other. Sammy yeah. was like, I, so it, it's it's crazy that like two the two lowest on the well, so Brandon Goodman was like the lowest on our totem pole, and he's now Billie Eilish's manager, wow. like her main manager. Yeah, and then no, <laughs> and, what's, what's and Amanda Sammy was like the assistant, so maybe even she was lower. No, Amanda and, was literally cleaning up Jeremy's dog, dog poo, and she's now like a executive Senior VP of A and R at Capital. I, I mean, I'm just gonna say it because ultimately, the the ones of us who work in music are the ones who didn't join the company. I think like we all kind of had this. <clears throat> fuck that doesn't seem like it's healthy and i mean no we, we, we came like, into the office to all join start a company together but as the cards unfolded yeah you stayed yeah myself brandon room. and yeah. and amanda i think all stayed enough separated where like i just remember um and and tim wasn't super involved in like crafting the direction of the company but i remember overhearing i'm not going to throw anybody under the bus but a couple of people who were involved in it going like yeah, we don't really have to do shit for our clients. If we pick up enough of them, you know, a small percentage of them will become successful. Right. The rest will be pissed off at us, but fuck it. We could live off of the success of those few. And that kind of went against like everything that I personally believed in, mm-hmm. in like, like you had to get super involved and roll up your sleeves for every client. And ultimately to take on a new client, you had to love what they do. That's it. Yeah. That's the bottom line. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. But it's, also, if I, the problem, I just didn't have a, a nut to live on. I just didn't have it. So it's clients that I was bringing in, like Cook Classics, who Dan now manages, or like UC and, and different guys 10 years later are now crushing it. So if I, you know, I could have held on for 10 but, years but, but, but and, yeah, and think, had a successful roster. But. but if you were to say, if you were to try to explain why that didn't work out, like what would you say? Uh, well, I, I'll I'll be I, well, let, from my but, perspective but lack t- of patience. Yeah, as Tim, a third Tim party was like in it, so I'm just well, curious I just, what his. I think it it, it would have worked out with longer, spending some more time doing it. I just at the time I got an offer to go run artist relations at the guitar company, right. and so it's just like I was just down to the. Right. I just was down to the end of my finances, really. Yeah, like and, Dan was talking about. I literally was driving to meetings, just the same thing, like just having so little coming in I was making so, I had one mixer client that he was actually the one guy that would generate like actual check cuz he would mix something we'd get paid but the, so it was just such little things here and there so I'd get a couple thousand bucks but that'd be completely gone no, I mean, within a month and so yeah it was a 
and then when I got an offer for, you know, a decent, a decent amount of money, I just, I had to take it. No, I mean, look, if you look at my roster, um, nearly all of my clients, except for one, except for Simon Wilcox is a producer songwriter. And in large part, it was because the producers could get their producer fee. Could get a producer fee, and that would bring income in. Songwriters, the tough part in the music business. Um, the the tough part for songwriters is it takes a year and a half for money to come in. Sometimes longer. So, you know, somebody like even like, when they have, and it, it takes a long time to even get the point where they make the money. Yeah. So if you're to to give people an idea who are listening, if you write a song today, it might take best case a month to find a home for it and by the time the artist records it that's best case realistically on average it's about six months of it bouncing around to different labels and different artists and this and that then the artist has to record it then they have to have a marketing plan then it comes out so realistically that song is taking a year to come out from the day it was written roughly you know sometimes it goes quicker but on average then a song comes out it starts getting played at radio people are buying it there's a six-month delay for that money, you know, from Spotify to come into the labels. And then the labels hold on to that for six months and start to account. And then it finally comes back to the songwriter. So really, you're kind of looking at, you're not seeing a cent from a song for about two years from the day you wrote it. Yes, there's advances and ways to like, as you start to, maybe the song's having success. But really, in the scope of it, it's, it's two years for for that money to be in your bank account and and that makes it really tough so with the exception of sync money yeah sync money is paid directly but on average i'm talking about the majority of the income performance royalties and stuff like that mechanical royalties so i just you know built my company in a way where i had really almost all producers again i still even to this day only have one pure songwriter who you know only makes her money off the songs and not any upfront producer fees. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it shaped my company, um, not having resources, never taking investments, you know, um, I had to come up with a way to survive short term because ultimately that becomes the tough thing is like, if you can't survive short term, you can never succeed long term, Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes that balance of like, not selling out, not losing focus on what your passion is, but also balancing it with being realistic, right? On like cost and expenses and putting food on your plate, being able to like buy stamps to mail invoices and whatnot, yeah. right? But but Jeremy was a lawyer. So he, he yeah, he was. So, so he probably had a different, not like that he was doing anything wrong. He just didn't have the same love and passion that like maybe someone like, um, he was a bit more of the, you need a business mind right, and you right. need an artistic mind. I think both are really good. He, he did steer more towards the business side and he, he actually Which, made a good partner in certain ways because he was, could be sort of, just look at it from that side, which, which makes sense that he would be thinking about like the volume, like, Oh, if we just get enough people, then we're going to, it's going to eventually work. But the trick is to have the people that are running each one actually care. Like, I feel like, yeah, I want to say that like, well, music, music. Um, I mean, it's, 
it's tough to kind of say this without getting too deep in it. Music now, there's more artists releasing music than ever before. There's more songs getting put out. I mean, you look at a new Music Friday and it's just so crowded. I don't even recognize but, 80% of them. But success is still very quality over quantity. Like, right? You need such uh, a great song to cut through. And I think, you know, I think if you look at people maybe financially that are having success, those are people that still have put quality over quantity. Not mm. not all the time, but have maybe leaned heavier to that. Well, yeah. especially in the pop world. Yeah, definitely in the pop world. But if you're looking at like, you know, um, Earl Sweatshirt, or uh, Brockhampton, or like, you know, the first thing I thought of was like fish. It's a little, I think it's just different. Yeah, no, if you're, if you're a touring artist, or if you're a... I just put Brockhampton in the same category <laughs> as fish. But they're oh, like, but. on the musician side, fish is like, on the musicianship side, they're as good as it gets, you know. But, but like I think that real. like Brockhampton for like right now... But Brockhampton now, they're for like instance, on some ill. They're like ill. They're like real artists. But they just put Dua Lipa, I think, on oh, their okay. single that's yeah. at radio. Yeah. So they're they're making that they're making that transition into being a pop artist. Do you think it's easier now to be successful or to just make a living doing music than it was twenty years ago? Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, look, twenty years ago, you had no shot. Unless you knew somebody, you had a big time manager, ended up having the funds to go into a proper studio. I mean, I think 20 years ago is right. Well, it's, that's right when like ADATs and like home recording. Okay. Happened. So it's easier so, now. Yeah. Cause I think, mean, now you could, now you could just look, you just need a microphone and your iMac. Do you think that that has made a negative or a positive impact, impact on music itself? Both both you you can't have just one yeah you know so like that's a good answer yeah look you you definitely have these you have an artist like Billie Eilish who maybe 30 years ago wouldn't have gotten a shot because maybe nobody would have taken a chance on you know bankroll in the project whereas well dude that's a clear case of like the youth reacting to something that I think only youth would react to I don't think any suits or like label people would have been like, Oh, that's going to work. But because of the reaction that the kids were having, we're which would have well, only the, been possible through the internet. She got, to yeah, I mean, look, is. we're I, probably missing out on some artists though, because we've been so distracted with so many other things because so many, there is so much and so many artists that didn't really get to album two because they didn't really do much in album one. That could have been the greatest thing. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, life isn't going to work out perfectly. You know, the, the, the artists that are having the most success aren't necessarily always the hardest working or the more talented. Like, there is a, a bit of uh, luck, however you want to describe it. A thousand luck, percent. Being, being I, at the right place I, at the right I, not, time. It's not just because I was, like, in the group. I really do think that we caught, Hypercrush caught some really bad breaks. And I think that we had so much... Like I don't, I, I I genuinely think if we would have had a stronger team, we would have done way better. Yeah, but here's what gets interesting: is like, what is the definition of a stronger team? Just people is that it, like really understand us and care. 
and yeah. trust. The, I love the way you described it. Cause yeah. some people would describe a stronger team as like a more successful no, manager. No, 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 you know, no. we actually had Troy Carter for a minute. Yeah. Like we were on like, you know, but like, no, it's, it, it's look, it's it just fucked us up. Cause he ended up leaving. Cause you know, Gaga was like not really trying to share him. Um, and it there, fucked us up. There's a lot of songwriters who will come to me and I'll take a meeting and, and, I just personally don't feel like we're on the same page, right? Bro, we and, were and, in with all the biggest producers in the yeah. world. It doesn't mean anything. No, no. And so, what are you so, doing? You're so, doing this. It's what, 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 what do you want? What does the artist think is best for their brand? The only reason that they're even have a brand is because they shaped it. So, what? Let's ask them what they. think. No, totally. I mean, that's, let's not try to tell them what. Well, that's what I was kind of getting to. Is when people go like, oh. Any advice on finding a, 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 a great manager, you know, like, give me some names. And it's like, meet with somebody who's on the same page as you, who, yeah. who goes like, I know where you're trying to go and I could actually help you and I give a shit. Yeah, that's, you know? I think giving a shit is just really, that's just the theme of like everything. Yeah, I mean, like, what, what I look for in, you know, in songwriters and producers that I meet with is like, do they have something in them that makes me give a shit? Do they, have they written a song? Do they have this like um, contagious desire mm. to succeed that you go like, this doesn't even feel like work. And I don't care if they call me at two in the morning. I'm so excited about what this person is doing. I'll do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. That's what I look for because then it no longer feels like work. I don't feel like I'm working for this person. I feel like I'm excited to be working with someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, we're approaching two hours, which is oh wow, pretty. It's on the longer side of things, which is good. <laughs> that that honestly felt like. 30 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. I told, he's, yeah. Like, he's like, how long is this? I'm like, maybe two hours. He's Isn't like, it what? crazy, though, how it just kind of all just... Yeah. You're like, what are we going to talk about? But it's like... I mean, I honestly think... I We're obviously hanging out. We're close friends, and we should just do it again because there's just like so many different like chambers that... that like, I, I would love to just talk... Yeah, we could talk... Like you said, we could talk for a whole hour about like what selling out means and all that stuff and preference and all that but um yeah we'll we'll figure out the next topic and maybe we'll bring some somebody else who like yo supports that i would love to like talk to ian or anyone what if we had jason and ian on oh that I, that'd be fucking awesome. that'd be so fucking cool because i know jason really looks up to ian and it's probably I, I, vice versa. yeah no those are like two people that we're both all close with and <laughs> and are having like chart topping success and and both i mean you know, they actually live less than a mile away from each other Whoa. right now, which is hilarious. Do they not like hang out or they're like, not really like, no, I, I think they do. And like, they've done a lot of stuff in the past together and I'm sure they'll do a lot more in the future. They're just not hanging out. I mean, they're working. Yeah. Well, and then like, Ian is, I'm sure Jason is hanging out. He has no. people coming over to the house, but he's just, he's not like, I think, same way. Like Ian will have people over, but, but their lives ultimately revolve around what they, what they do for a living, yeah. you know, and uh, their schedule. What, what, what does it cost to go in with Ian? I mean, like just a producer fee. Do you see ever do shit for free on spec? 
I mean, very rare. He's, right. He'll occasionally do it when there's something he's just so excited right. about. Or it, homies with someone. Yeah. I mean, for Ian, really, at this point, as I'm sure it is with Jason, it's not even... Like, the producer fee no longer matters. The producer right. fee could be whatever it is. Right. Like, you're talking about guys who ultimately only have so many days a year they're working, writing. And for them, it's just... I, I don't want to speak for Jason. I know with Ian, it's all about, like, being really careful with this time and going like, do I think I'm right for this project? Right. And do I think I'm going to do something amazing? Yeah. Cause we're going to go in with uh, Jason, but like people, I mean, but like a guy, guys at their type of level, I do, this is not me quoting Jason. Cause I actually do not know what his producer fees are, but like, I just know guys at that kind of level. It's, between on a producer it's between 25 and 75 grand per song yeah i would say that that's about right it all depends on the artist and and look and like the label and the home and the label and so so ian and jason are sort of like where like red one was when the gaga hits were coming out i don't know if they're quite that level because, but because ours were only like, like 50 or 15 grand or 20 no like, i mean look Diplo, diplo's track was like 15 but look, Timbaland at some point was what five hundred thousand when he was like on oh, the A level. It was like wow. some crazy shit. Um, no, look, like both those guys have had multiple number one singles. And just so people understand what we're saying, basically what we're saying is, you go into the studio and you make a song. If you want that song, you have to pay fifteen thousand dollars just to have it. Yeah, I mean to be able to exploit and release but, it. But right? but what about what if you don't want the song? So I mean, you don't have to pay it. Yeah, you don't have to. You pay don't have it. to pay any money. Correct. So okay. That, so when we went in with Danger Hands, we had to pay for studio time. Yeah, that, well, he was the, on the level where it was like you don't even work with me. That that by the way, that's me. a really common thing, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. That becomes a common thing because as certain producers' time becomes more valuable and this and that that kind of weeds out a little bit of the time wasters, right? Yeah, for sure. Like ultimately if you're a serious artist going in with a serious producer and your label is not willing to pay a 500 or a thousand dollar a day fee, right. like there's an actual cost associated with the studio, like for having sure. all that gear on all of that. So it's just a way to kind of even things out. <clears throat> so it's, it's very rarely are they turning a profit on the day rate. That's just well, like, they're paying the engineer. Yeah, they're engineer to be there. Yeah, exactly. So it's a way to kind of cover costs. Well, yeah. also, by the way, when you're pre- paying the producer fee, you're going in the studio and writing a song. But theoretically, when they're, you're paying the producer fee, they're not just like what you did that day is more or less a demo. They're actually finishing the production of it, right. like tweaking the vocals, tuning the vocals, trimming the fat, mixing, bi- the beefing the, the, I mean, there's usually a mixer also on top of that, but like yeah. just beefing the sounds up, like really adding their little stuff to it. A lot of times people are so quick now that what they do in that day can be almost pretty close to what the production but actually that's is. That's only because they have a whole lifetime of developing yeah. tricks and yeah. shortcuts and chains and like things. No, and even by the way, even sometimes like, you know, to touch on what we started with, sometimes it's the idea is already pretty developed. So like, you know, sometimes Ian or Jason or any of these producer songwriters have spent a lot of days before coming up with enough ideas and track starts and this and that, that like, 
you know, you are getting something that's slightly more ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we should get Jason, Andy, and we should get some old school punk rockers. We, you know, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a pleasure. Listen. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for listening, everyone. <laughs>